I have been thinking about this moment right here for months now. Because when we started getting together and praying about a college ministry and praying about getting people together, uh, we immediately started praying, Lord, what do you have for us? What do you want us to learn? What do you want us to be in together? And like super quick, I felt the Lord tell me 1 Thessalonians. And so this is the kickoff of, of like that moment. And if you let it, if, you, if you're willing to submit your life to God, if you let it, the, the book of 1 Thessalonians can change your life. Right? Like this whole book can change your life, but particularly in this season, I really feel like God has something for us through 1 Thessalonians. And, and this book particularly has like such great potential to set your life on such a good path, right? A path that'll help you through whatever season God has you in right now, a path that'll carry you through to the next season. It's something that you can come back to. Um, it covers a ton of stuff, right? In 1 Thessalonians, we've got belief, we've got sanctification, we've got sin and purity and motivation. We've got like discussion about the end times and Jesus's return. Um, it covers a ton of topics. There's so much content in 1 Thessalonians, and it's only five chapters. But it's not just the content as to why I chose this book. Actually, the, the biggest reason I chose this is the context of it. Like, who it was written to and why it was written. That's what I'm more uh, concerned with at the moment, because this letter was written by the Apostle Paul. And it was written by him to the Thessalonians after he had spent some, some time with them, right? So we'll see in the book. He left uh, his time with the Philippians, came to Thessalonica, spent time with them, and left. And after a while, he started getting worried about how they were doing. He hadn't heard much, and you know, his concerns like, have they fallen away? What, what are they doing? What pastoral guidance do they have? So, because he couldn't go, he sends Timothy. And he sends Timothy, and Timothy comes back, and he reports to Paul. And Paul is just astonished. Paul is amazed, right? He's like, it says that he's brought joy at the news of what uh, was going on with the Thessalonians. And like Paul, right? when, when we're talking about Paul, we're talking about the guy that wrote half of the New Testament. We're talking about a guy whose words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, have literally shaped not just generations, Right? His words have shaped and formed entire nations. That Paul says about the Thessalonians that they are his joy and they are his glory. The Apostle Paul calls the Thessalonians his glory. So if the Apostle Paul thinks that they're pretty awesome, I believe that for us, God wants us to set our eyes on the Thessalonians for the next 10 weeks. And he wants us to see the example that they set. Paul says it all the time, to imitate him as he imitates Christ. And in Thessalonians, he tells them that they have successfully imitated him. So these are people that are worth looking at. These are people that Paul wasn't angry with, right? If you've, if you've read any of Paul's letters, like Paul is a pretty blunt guy. Okay, he's, he can get pretty angry sometimes. Like if you read Galatians or Corinthians, like 
you'll see what it looks like when Paul's not happy with somebody. But that's not the case with Thessalonians. And that's why I think it would be great for us to spend the next 10 weeks here. And I want to encourage you, and I want to take just a minute to pray and to ask you to seek the Lord and say, what do you have for me in 1 Thessalonians right now? What do you have for us as a group to learn together? And Lord, would you use it to change our hearts in a new way? So let me pray for us, then we'll dive into it. Lord, I pray just as the song we just sang says, Lord, that there is nothing that you can't do. Lord, all of heaven and earth is yours to command and control. And I ask, Lord, that you use your word to help us see that better, but also to change our hearts and our lives around that. Father, work mightily in your word in a way that just leaves us leaving this place knowing that you were at work. Makes us want to come back and makes us cherish these moments, Lord. We, we don't know what you have for us. We don't know if this group's going to stay this size or if it's going to be 20s or 30s or 50s or 100s, Lord. We have no idea, but we trust you and we know that you can do anything and we know whatever happens is your perfect will and your perfect plan, Father. So we trust you now. Trust that your word will not be void in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, let's open up to 1 Thessalonians. I'll be saying it for the next few weeks. If you guys have a Bible, go ahead and open it up or bring it up on your phone. I'm going to be diving into it a lot, so it'd be nice if you have it in front of you. And on that note, too, I want to encourage you guys to take notes. I want to encourage you, like not, not like fill in the blank notes like we have on the weekends. Like I don't have those for you, but I mean like if maybe it's in your Bible, maybe it's on your phone, it doesn't matter. But take notes that way when you come back to it later, you have something that either the Lord is reminding you of or he teaches you again for the, for the first time, maybe. Something sticks out to you on that. And particularly, our notes today, they're going to be questions. Right? That's, that's what we're focusing on, is the questions that we're going to be going through. So let me read it, and then we'll get into it. We're spending time on the first five verses. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. That's where we're stopping for tonight. So like I mentioned, we're going to hit this week hard with some self-evaluation. I'm calling this message a life defined. And it's not just this message that's going to take that title. Like our whole series for First Thessalonians, the overarching theme we're going to keep on coming back to is a life defined by the gospel. A life that is defined by the gospel. And the questions that we're going to be asking tonight are going to help you determine if you're living your life as one defined by the gospel, right? They're not the only questions you can ask, right? I'm not going to give you five questions. You're like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm living by the gospel. They are some of the questions we could be asking. But they're the questions we should be asking in response to this passage right here. So we're going to be going through five questions that help you determine 
if you are living your life as defined by the gospel. And I'm going to let you know right now, if you answer yes to these questions, that's good, right? And that's encouraging. If you answer no at the moment, it might be time for a heart check. It might be time for a self-evaluation. And we're here for that as well, right? We, we'll cover that as well and, and live with you in it. And I guarantee you every single one of us here at some point has said no to these questions or is currently saying no to these questions. You are not alone if no is the answer for some of these for you. But it is good to find out that that's what the answer is so we can dive into it. So let's start with question one. Question one is, do others thank God for me? So verse one like lets us know who's writing the letter, and then verse two is where I pull this question from. So I'm going to read verse two again. We, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy, give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. So we're going to see in the next verse exactly why he's giving thanks for them and what that looks like, but the question still remains, like, are there people who are thankful to God for you? Are there people who are thankful that you exist? Are there people that are thankful for what you're doing or what you've done in their life or what you represent in their life? Like, are those things that you can answer yes or no to at the moment? Now, I'll be the first to tell you, like, my answer to this oftentimes, I, th I think, is a no, right? Like, that's my natural inclination is no. I naturally feel like that um, people are better off without me, right? Like, that's, that's my natural thought. I'm sure some of you are in the same boat with me. I don't like to view myself as important. It's just not my natural thought. Um, and I'd say that most people in a season of life, they would, they would feel that way too. But on the flip side, I, like, I was just reminded this weekend of um, how that's not always true. Right? So this weekend we had some friends in, Brittany and I had some friends in from uh, Clear Lake, which is where I was a youth pastor and worship pastor up there for a while. And um, a couple times over the weekend, they said directly to us uh, how thankful they were for our time together. Which, I mean, it was super humbling, right? And I truly believe it was just the Lord reminding me in this time, because honestly, without that conversation, I probably would be asking this question and answering it like, no, I'd, like not immediately to my mind can I think of people that are super thankful, right? And I think the Lord brought it to me to remind me that oftentimes those just pop up. And I, and I say that to you not to tell you I've got it together, I say that to you to encourage you, like, hold on to those times people say that. Like, remember those times, because there's going to be times when you forget it. And it would be great if you have times that you can remember it and, and write it down um, and, and things like that. And, I mean, there, there are times in my life, like, particularly in high school and in college, where, like, the opposite is true. Like, there are people out there right now who think of a time in their life that they wish they could forget and I'm a leading cause of that. Right? They wish that I never existed and I had never interacted with them. Like, there are people like that right now. So what's the difference between the people right now that I had experience with in college that feel that way about me and the people that we're visiting from Clear Lake that are thankful for Brittany and I being in their lives? Right? What's the difference? 
The difference is Jesus. Sunday school answer, right? But it's true. The difference is the gospel. See, in Clear Lake, I was letting my life be defined by the gospel, and I, the Lord reminded me of that this weekend, but that's not always true either. And so it's just a constant reminder to you. Evaluate yourself. Look for those people and ask yourself the question, uh, are there people who look at your life, who look at you, and they think God because of you? They love God more because of you. They know God because of you. That can be life-defining. And I encourage you to definitely look at uh, the seasons. And you know what? If your answer is currently no, the biggest thing I want you to know is it's not too late to change that. We've all had that no. It is never too late to give your life to the Lord. It is never too late to turn around and to say, Lord, my answer is no right now, but I trust you and I love you, and I'm going to grow in my love for you and trust that that answer will be yes someday. It's never too late. So see that as an encouragement too. I know that hits, hits hard, um, but I'm not preaching this message to you to just change your actions, right? And I'm not preaching this message to you to have you feel bad. I'm preaching this message to you that you would change your heart and that you would see maybe the Lord has something for you to change over this next 10 weeks. So, that's the first question, right? Do others thank God for you? Let's keep on uh, looking at the passage. We're going to go back to verses 2 and 3 and get to our next question. So we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mention you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul lists three things. Three things that he sees in the Thessalonians that he thinks are worth remembering to God. The Apostle Paul sees these in the Thessalonians and he thinks these are the things that are worth praying to God about and saying this is really great. So if the Apostle Paul sees those as worthy things, then those are worthy things that we should be looking at. And those are the worthy things that we should be asking these questions on. So the second question comes from this statement that he remembers God before their work of faith. So question two, do others see my work of faith? Do others see my works of faith? Now, I did some like deep diving this week on the Greek, right? Because I wanted clarity. Like the word work and labor, they're sort of similar, and that's the next thing we're covering. And I just want to know that if, if I'm going to sit here and I'm going to shout at you for 30 minutes about the things that God wants for you, that this is actually Paul's intent, right? So I, I did some, some deep diving on the Greek because I want to understand the word works. And the word work here, the meaning is like a physical action. It's a deed. That, that's what that means. So uh, when we ask, like, do others see my works of faith, what we're really asking is, do people see my deeds? Do people see the deeds that are caused by my faith? The things that I would do because of my faith. So let's just throw out some of those examples now. Right? I, I wrote some down, but I just want to hear, I mean, this is a pretty easy answer. 
What are things Christians do because of their faith? What are things that you do because of your faith that other people would see? Just throw some out. Anybody got any? Volunteer, right? Volunteer either at church or, um, you know, soup kitchens or any other thing in between that, right? Yeah, volunteering. Loving others, right? Both relationship and word and, and all those things. Yep, loving others. Working hard, yeah. Being a hard worker, dedicated, trying, things, trying to do things excellent, right? How about go to church, right? That's a, a, we do that because of our faith and other people see that. That's an action we take. Anything else? So like I said, I wrote a little list down, and these are just no particular order. Um, We pray, right? Prayer, volunteering, helping, caretaking, donating our time, donating our money, attending church, uh, speaking up when necessary, right? Defending our faith. That's an action we can actually take to others. Um, There's lots of them, and we could go on and on, right? Those are just some random ones that were listed, um, But if you want a life defined by the gospel, you need to ask yourself, am I producing deeds that people see? That's just an action. We're going to get to the heart in just a minute. But this is a valid question. Do people see you do things that Christians do? That's one way to know if your life is defined by the gospel. And now we dig just a bit deeper. So Paul tells the Thessalonians that he remembers before God their work of faith and their labor of love. So question three is, do others see my labor of love? Like I said, I dove into the Greek, and the word labor is what really struck me here. Because the word labor literally means to strike. It means to beat hard. It means to grow weary, to exhaust yourself, to expend yourself. It means to toil and to strive. Like, that's the definition of labor. So, does your love for the Lord or your love for others, because those are the the loves that we're commanded to have as believers, right? Love for the Lord and love for others. Does your love for the Lord and love for others cause you to exhaust yourself? Does it cause you to expend yourself? Does it cause you to toil and strive and grow weary? That's what it means to have a labor of love for the Lord or a labor of love for others. To be in the hard parts and be pushed to the end. How many of you remember the polar vortex a couple years ago? How many of you were in the Midwest for the polar vortex? Most of you? Okay. So if you remember, we're talking... You know, temperatures negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit and below, wind chills that were just absolutely ridiculous. We're talking windows breaking, heaters breaking apart, cars stalling out. I mean, it got pretty cold pretty quick, right, for a few days. Um, During that time, our church opened up a warming center for the homeless. It was a really cool thing. Uh, I loved seeing it. So what we did is we opened up our gym over there to let be like a rec center and food place for them. Uh, we opened up our classrooms that are over there as like dormitories for families and people to stay. 
we provided food. We had our church not only bring in food, but they brought in like jackets and clothing and hygiene products. Like I remember Brittany and I got to drive people from here to a, a local gym so they could shower, maybe for the first time in weeks, right? Like it was a really cool thing that our church got to do. And I would classify that as a work of faith, right? I would classify that as a deed. It's something that we did, that we were able to show others, and we did it because of our faith. Like, that's a prime example when I say, like, a work of faith. For me, I wouldn't call it a labor of love. And the reason is because it, it wasn't that hard to do it, right? Like, it made me feel good. It made me look good. It was fun. I got to do something out of the ordinary. I'm sort of adventuresome sometimes, so that was a blast for me to be able to like shut down everything and do this cool thing for a few days. Like I would call that a work of faith. But you know what would have been the labor of love? All the follow-up from that. Like actually staying in those people's lives in a way that you're helping them find housing, you're helping them find food, you're helping them find jobs. You're helping them struggle and fight and beat addictions. Right? That's messy. That's like, there, there are no immediate results to that kind of stuff, right? And half the time, people are not going to see that. They're not going to see it, and it certainly doesn't feel great, and it's frustrating, and it's annoying, and it makes you angry, and it makes you tired, and it exhausts you, at least for me, right? That, for my personality, that's a labor of love. Because I have to work hard to continue doing that. And I'll admit, I feel like I failed in that spot. I didn't have any follow-up with them. Right? I, I, I was in and I was out. And the labor of love would have been expending myself and exhausting myself because of my love for Jesus and my love for the people that I was helping. So... What's yours? What about you? Do others see in you a labor of love, something that exhausts you and expends you? Do you see that in yourself? Are you able to identify what is my labor of love? And um, I don't have this in my notes, but I, I just thought about this, that like, that's what we want to do for you guys. Right? Like the leaders here, we want you to be our labor of love, right? Like, we want to live the messy parts of life with you, right? We, we want the phone calls at 2 a.m. We, we want the things that you're struggling with. And so I, I'd ask you, would you let us show our faith and, and have a labor of love for you guys? Because this is what we're trying to do. We're, we're trying to do just that. And so I want to encourage you to let us do that. We're here for you. And for us, this is our conviction. This is how we can get in the messiness and the weariness and the frustrating things. Because if it's not yet, trust me, your life is going to be frustrating over the next few years. Right? This whole stage of life can be very frustrating sometimes. So, anyway, that's a side note. Um, next question. Paul says uh, that he remembers the Thessalonians before God because of their work of faith, their label of love, and steadfastness of hope. So, in, in modern terms, or many of you probably have it in a different translation, uh, a really great meaning is endurance from hope, right? He, 
He praises them and remembers them for their endurance from hope. So the question four is, do others see a hope that helps me endure? So what does Paul say that the hope is in? The verse tells us in Thessalonians that it's a steadfastness of hope in who? In Jesus Christ. Meaning that whatever endurance that they have, whatever like perseverance they have going on, it's because of their hope in Jesus that it's happening. I want you to, to know the difference, right? There are plenty of people out there in life who are enduring without the hope of Jesus. Right? There are plenty of people in life who go through addiction, they go through depression, they go through darkness, and they come out the other side. And it is not because they hope in Jesus. It is a hope in many other things, right? Sometimes, largely it's a hope in themselves, right? Whether that's a hope to look good to others, a hope because others are depending on them, a hope because they just want a better life and they want to be successful. Like there, there are plenty of reasons why people are able to persevere and endure through hard things. The question is, how do you persevere and how do you endure hard things? Because if the answer isn't because of your hope in Christ, you may not be defining your life on the gospel. Because our hope as believers, is in a living hope. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was alive, dead, and alive. There's someone over here? Everyone all looked over here real quick. One moment. Okay. <laughs> that was very good. Y'all just like looked all at the same time, all over here at the exact same time. I was like, who's there? <laughs> so that's, that's your question, right? What is your hope when you are enduring? Is it hope that you'll just look better on the other end? A hope that you're somehow building up your own character? Or is it a hope in Jesus Christ who will get you through it and you'll get to see him someday in glory? And last question, right? I know you're, you're staying with me here. Last question. Do others see that I'm chosen? Look back at verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full convictions. So what does Paul see in them? He sees that they're chosen. Now we, we could go into like a huge, deep, long theological discussion on what chosen means, all right? Like we could start throwing out Calvinism, Armenianism, Molinism, provisionism, like a lot of isms that all debate and argue about what it means to be chosen or the extent of what chosenness is. But there is an undeniable fact here that Scripture says somehow, some way, some extent, we are chosen by God, right? And that the Thessalonians, they were chosen, however that looks like. And that's what Paul is saying he sees in them, that they are chosen, right? But how does he know that they are chosen? That's what we're diving into. How? How does he see that they are chosen? It's two things. One, the gospel came to them not only in word, but in power. And two, with full conviction. Power and full conviction. So does the gospel come into your life in power? I mean, like, does it tear things down in your life? 
Does it create a hot mess going on with all the things that the gospel demands of you? Does it build things up in your life? Does it give you hope? Does it give you faith? Does it have a power over you like the gospel had a power over the Thessalonians? So does it have power over you? And the second one is, does it have full conviction over you? So full conviction is, I mean, that's seeing the whole world through this lens of the gospel, right? No matter what the world around you sees, that's you seeing everything through the reality that Jesus is who he is and that the world is how he has made it. And he has made you for a purpose, right? That's full conviction. Full conviction is those people that you see on TV that are kneeling down in the sand with a bag over their head, ready to be executed because they refuse to deny Jesus Christ. That is a full conviction because they are fully convicted of who Jesus is and what he has done for them. Full conviction is the apostles like Paul who wrote this and many others who almost every single one of them after Jesus left was martyred. They were beaten, they were imprisoned, they were rejected, and eventually almost every single one of them was killed because they were fully convicted of who Jesus was. You could not look at them and pick out the Christian parts and keep another part of them. It was all together. So what about you? I'm going to ask that a lot. I'm going to ask that a lot over the next 10 weeks. What about you? Are there Christian parts of you and non-Christian parts? Are you fully convicted? Now, I'm not saying you have to be a martyr in order to be fully convicted. I know those were pretty drastic examples I just gave there. But what I am saying is that a fully convicted person, they are willing to do that. And that's a hard place for all of us. I'm, I'm not saying anybody has it down, but I'm saying it's something we all strive for. So are you fully convicted? So the, those are the five questions that um, we can cover for tonight. There's lots more questions to come. But I hope they're questions that hit hard for you. And I hope they're questions you ask yourself. And I pray that they're questions that you struggle with. Because the gospel is not about just answering yes to all those questions and having this perfect life. The gospel is about realizing that you don't have the yes to those questions and striving to do those things and desiring to do those things. That's the gospel. So, tonight, uh, we're going to close in a song of worship. And then after that, um, we're just going to break into like two separate groups and we're just going to have some discussion. Right? We're just going to talk about the message, those questions particularly, and it's going to be a chance for us to be able to just get to know each other that way, and then we'll end a little bit after that and still have some time to hang out. That's the format we're going to take. Let me pray for us, and Calvin's going to lead us in another song. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you are a living hope. I thank you that um, we have the ability to ask ourselves these questions, Lord, and we're able to ask them because you have so chosen to write them down. You have so chosen to use your spirit to can convict the apostles of them, and now we get to see them and be convicted. So I ask, Father, you uh, just allow us the struggle of answering these questions. And now as we respond in worship, Lord, may we fix our eyes on you, our living hope.
It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.